Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast, recorded Friday, February the 4th. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about Governor Hutchinson's urge to uh, get rid of it, quit talking about it, move on from it. Uh, we'll also talk about Literac politics and crime and other odds and ends. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Hello. So let's start where we usually do, and that's with the coronavirus. Uh, big, big death numbers uh, yesterday. Uh, the Secretary of Health, Jose Romero, said he expected uh, deaths uh, to, to continue to be high. It's, of course, the, the ultimate lagging indicator of, of this wave. Um, so that that's one piece of news. But the biggest, I think, came with Governor Hutchinson and Johnny Key's uh, announcement that schools will no longer be required to do contact tracing and will no longer be required to uh, uh, quarantine folks who've been exposed by the and and Governor Hutchinson also talked over the weekend and and then uh, a little bit at his weekly news conference about how we need to start moving into endemic phase uh, the endemic phase of of the coronavirus or confronting it I guess and I mean, you know, I've read a little bit about what that means. <laughs> I think it's it's less that there's something that changes uh, in uh, in in how the the coronavirus is moving around, and it's more that we just decide that we're going to live with it. Kind of like the flu, but you know, what we know to date of coronavirus is is that it's a lot more dangerous than the flu. I mean. I mean, perhaps this is just wishful thinking of the most dangerous sort, it seems to me. And 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 not only, of course, if nearly every school district said they will take him up on not having to do contact tracing anymore because it's just such pain. But they're all they're all backing away from requiring people to wear a mask, which there's now just an incredible weight of scientific evidence that because COVID is airborne transmission, that masks. Hold down the raid, you know, and, and they don't hurt you. And, and I, I see these lawsuits by the nuts about, oh, it's infringing on my rights. Where is there a right to not wear a mask? I mean, how about if a kid goes to school and says, you know, I just don't wear pants in my culture. And it's my right to do that. And you can't make me wear pants. I mean, that's a little crazy, but not so crazy. Is so a kid in a school with uniform said, it's my right not to wear a uniform. You can't make me wear a uniform. But anyway, I, 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 anyway, that's how, that situation is not going to change. And I think I think Asa Hutchinson and Johnny Key, as much as anything, have bowed to Arkansas's prevailing sentiment, which is we're over it, ready to take the consequences, whatever they, we may be. There's an awful lot of people who think the consequences aren't as bad as some others think. But we sure have a lot of dead people and a lot of sick people that suggest it is pretty bad. And more people are going to die, die. I mean, there, there, one thing has happened, and that is the rapid decline in new cases in Omicron. That's been the experience elsewhere. But we're still getting 4,000 new cases a day. And when the numbers are that great, <clears throat> even if the percentage who get seriously ill is smaller, and if you're not vaccinated, your odds are greater, a lot of people are going to die. That's all, but but uh, we're just going to hope that it's going to go away. And 
uh, you know, I guess that's all we can do now is hope. I saw that, that Jennifer Delahaye with the health department was hopeful that maybe this bout of winter weather, which has forced people largely inside, maybe they're gathering at, at hills to do sledding, uh, that that would slow the, the spread a little bit and, and help us help us in some marginal way. So. Oh, but for a few days or whenever. I had an experience last Saturday that just, I was just furious. I mean, of course, uh, call me a wimp, call me whatever. I mean, I, I have been very careful and, and have avoided <clears throat> going out places and getting in crowds. And and so we ordered a pickup meal from Cantina Laredo, and they had a pretty good online. I'd never been there before, but they had a pretty good online system, and it seemed to work well. It said, well, you know, it's such and such, your, your order's being processed, it's ready, come pick it up. And, you know, and I thought, well, I'll dash in, grab the bags, and dash out. But I never got that. I was sitting outside the restaurant waiting for the final text that it's ready to pick up. And 10 or 15 minutes passed the given time, and it didn't happen. But I was watching this stream of people going in the restaurant. And so finally, there was nothing for it. I had to go in and inquire. And, I mean, it was standing room only in there. I mean, there were 50 to 100 people waiting for tables in the bar. It was There was shoulder to shoulder. No, not a single person wearing them. Not, not, not a worker, not a guest. And I, and I couldn't, and they were so, I mean, in a, I, I know what happened on my order. They were just slammed. I mean, they just couldn't handle it. And I had to wait around in this crowd. And I just thought, man, I'm just in the middle of this, you know, super spreader event. Unwillingly. It was, it was anyway. And I've been sick all week, but supposedly non-COVID. So according to one test I've taken. Oof, but yeah. I, I don't think, but I, that's Little Rock. And I don't think, I don't think what I experienced, I mean, I do think that reflects a lot of the, the feeling that's out there, which is people are tired of being shut in. They want to go out to eat. They want to go have a drink, have a, I, be with people, laugh and yuck it up. I mean, I get that completely. I, I don't look down my nose at that thought, but boy, if, if you're somebody of my age and of my health and, I don't particularly want to be in the middle of it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there and and move on. Uh, this was a, a newsy week. <coughs> Excuse me. In literate politics, um, it well, it started with uh, last weekend where there's just this awful uh, string of shootings. There were ten people shot, but another I think shot on Monday. Um, you know, a really crazy one at, at Raising Cane's, the chicken restaurant at university, or at least the folks ended up there. There was, uh, a one-year-old who got shot by a stray bullet, um, along with the caregiver, just a really awful weekend. And that, uh, led to police chief Keith Humphrey appearing in front of the city board, uh, as he, did last year when we had kind of a similar outbreak and 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 the conversation in a lot of ways mirrored the one last year where you had a number of city directors really coming down on him and suggesting some kind of outland not kind of some completely outlandish things uh dean capuris and bj wyrick talked about calling in the national guard um oh. 
uh, and then the, the the comment that got the most attention deservedly was Lance Hans, who said that uh, that we needed a police state, uh, and but he he wanted the state police to come in, wanted hundred state troopers to come in, and he uh, criticized the mayor's approach, uh, which is you know to to deal with the problem in, in ways that don't necessarily involve the police, a more holistic approach, the mayor said, uh, which was also endorsed by the police chief. Han said that the hug-a-thug approach has never worked and never would. He apologized the next day and said that he he supported the prevention and intervention treatment programs the city has long done that, that target youth from uh, impoverished communities and, and try to divert them away from crime. Oh, this is a mess in just so many different ways. And and I'm kind of an outlier on a lot of different angles in it. Number one, I agree with the police chief that you're not going to police your way out of a society that's full of people with, with hopeless lives and the ready access to guns, number one. Uh, but I also don't think you're going to solve that problem in Little Rock with putting a few social workers on the street and hiring some gangbangers to do street interventions. I mean, I, I don't. And and the unfortunate thing about Lance Hines' terrible remark, which was absolutely terrible, and, and, and I don't often agree with Charles Blake, the, the mayor's former right-hand man, but he said Hines' apology was unacceptable and that it continued a pattern of Hines' view of things, and I don't really disagree with Charles Blake on that. But all of that covered up something that needs to be looked at is is we spend five million dollars a year at a minimum and i and i think if you really examine the numbers of the various agencies we have in city government the numbers higher if not in direct intervention programs and i mean on the record on its face alone it hasn't been particularly effective in in deterring this kind of activity and so before we spend more on it, which seems to be the thrust of what the mayor proposed last week as a response to violence and spending more money on these kind of programs, I sure think we need a really searching look at how the money now spending is spent and what the effects have been. I, I look back at the day when the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation came in and <clears throat> devoted, which was an incredible sum of money at the time, I don't know, $20 million something to set up new futures for Little Rock Youth, which was kind of the, the mothership of this idea of, of taking a holistic approach of improving people's lives from, from childhood on and so and pointing them in the best direction. And again, I, I, I'm sure there were a lot of good people with good intentions who tried hard. One of them is our current city director, Ken Richardson, who worked in the program. But, I mean, you can't look around and, and find real obvious positive. Well, maybe it'd been a lot worse if we hadn't done that. And certainly, that's, I, I don't know the answer to that. So, uh, you know, that that's what we face with. And, and at the same time, I think it's crazy to talk about bringing in troops to patrol the streets. I think there's a small degree of truth in and one of the things Lance Hines says, which is kind of this broken window policing thing, that we've got to be real, 
real vigorous about not letting things slide. And, and we let things slide. I mean, code enforcement in Little Rock is, is hit or miss. I mean, there are parts of town that have piles of trash piled up and not, not in the Heights, but in, in poor neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and, other things have happened, but this is a real problem. And I've written about it now twice, two days in a row is, and I don't think the city board actually helps itself by, by declaring we need, need an emergency here. I think we contribute to the problem, not easy, but there's a perception growing that little rock is not a safe place that is crime ridden. And you take your life in your hands and live here. I, I don't happen to feel that way. And I never have. And I, I think there's some truth though it's a lame explanation in a way that, that most of the serious crime that happens in Little Rock happens among people who know each other. I mean, there was the one-year-old innocent bystander from stray gunfire, but it's mostly people settling grudges and deals gone bad and, and what have you. And that doesn't excuse them, but they're, they are not, they are not things solved. They're not things that indicate life in Little Rock is generally unsafe for everybody except from straight, straight bullets. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's just a hard problem. And, but we've got this perception that's built and that two things happened this week. They're small in a way, but they're big. I mean, I can't believe the Arkansas department of transportation is setting up a satellite engineering office in Northwest Arkansas, because they say engine new engineers in Fayetteville don't want to move here. And some of the people that work here now want to move up there. Well, why is that? I mean, the article didn't really say, but I, I mean, I suspect some of it has to do with this vision of Little Rock as an unsafe place. <clears throat> and then today was an op-ed in the Democrat Gazette from uh, Pierre Ferrari, who's leaving as CEO of Heifer International, which he announced, didn't announce, but kind of mentioned in passing in his article that they're about to shut down half their headquarters building here so that workers can work remotely somewhere and not in Little Rock, I'm guessing. I mean, the CEO, Pierre Ferrari, lives in Georgia, lives in Atlanta. So, you know, and I suspect the next CEO will as well. And there's even some justification for that. But I mean, it's it, I brought up the old thing that we did when we opted out of the Amazon search. It's not you, it's us. Is it us? Is there something here that we need to deal with? And I, I don't think I think it's bigger than hiring social worker for the police department. I think we need to take a hard look at, at what Little Rock is and means to people. And if there's a way to fix it, it's time to get with it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, of course, the million dollar question. It's it's uh, it's a stew of generational poverty and race and and yeah, I mean, I think there's some policy decisions on the edges that that make a difference. But the <coughs> the perception that Litterac is crime ridden is we've talked about it before. You know, it's it is uh, it at this moment, as Ken Richardson said at during the the board meeting, it is something that is pushed um and i mean active like the the mayoral can campaign is going on and steve landers who right now is the most visible opponent to frank scott that's his campaign is that litter rock is is crime ridden and his campaign no i think we're shooting ourselves in the foot and Absolutely. and you know there i mean there's always tv news 
has historically gone with uh, if it bleeds, it leads mindset, and that continues. If you watch TV news, then then you probably think Litterock is is a, a lawless place. Uh, well, and, let me interject uh, the incendiary thought that I frankly believe explains most of it, and it's racism. Little Rock is about to be a majority-minority city, and that is enough for white people to be afraid of it. I mean, you don't have to listen to many legislators to understand that that's a lot of what's going on. And there's no fixing that. I mean, the highway department is kind of interesting. The last two directors of the highway department have lived in Saline County. The one before that lived in Faulkner County, and I think Henry Gary even lived in North Little Rock, and the highway department is situated out there in southwest Little Rock in what is now a very low-income, majority-minority neighborhood. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I hate to to impose my theories what other people's thoughts are on it, but it's hard for me not to conclude that, like a lot of things, race isn't driving this. And and that we're, we live in a state where nobody wants to talk about that anymore, even to the point that they'll prevent you in public schools from talking about it. I mean, I, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, is I don't think there is a solution to the world. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not quite that pessimistic. And, and I agree that, that there certainly needs to be a hard look at, at how Little Rock is spending its, its money for intervention. But I think the only way that you can change is is a a long term program, and um, you know w- there's a lot of evidence elsewhere that things like community schools do make a difference. And we're in our first, I guess, going on our second year of that in Little Rock, which is something that that has long been discussed and and only recently happened. And I think that can have a positive effect on the edges. Uh, But, you know, you just have so many other factors going on that the pandemic has certainly uh, added to to what's going on in in the streets. I think you see that everywhere with the rising crime rate and it's, it's complicated. It's not, you can't entirely put it on the pandemic, but that's gotta be part of it. So I, I, as a political matter, though, it's going to be really hard going forward for city leaders to deal with the problem at hand and and not just say, like, look, this is this is something that folks are going to have to deal with while we chip away at the edges over the next 20, 30, 50, 100 years. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really anxious that's not a good word but i can't think of a better one right now about the coming mayoral campaign i mean i think it's going to devolve into racial politics i think it's going to be a white candidate versus a black candidate and the white voters scared of the crime in the black community and and i i just i think the dog whistlings are going to be i mean they're going to be shrill and deafening i'm, I'm afraid in this in this race and yeah, it it's going to be brutal, but I I have a hard time imagining enough people voting for a Republican who builds his campaign on scaring people about crime. I right. mean, you, I, and, you'll get and, votes. And, and I have to say this, and I don't say this particularly in a praiseworthy way, 
I think Frank Scott, the African-American mayor, believes that with a 42% African-American voter base, and particularly in a race with multiple candidates where you only need 40% to win, that he can't be beat. And so nearly everything in his campaign recently has been about reaching out to the underserved neighborhoods of Little Rock, and Lord knows there are a lot of them, and I'm not saying they're not deserving. They are, and about programs that are, you know, blight removal and grants to economic development in poor neighborhoods and appointing people from those neighborhoods to city boards and concentrating on South I-630 and east of I-30. And, I mean, that's that's a strategy. But I, I do think he'll lose something in that. And it was something he had in his winning campaign, and that was he, he did build a coalition of hope in his first race for office. Uh, part of the reason he won, he led the primary and, and defeated a really strong progressive candidate, Warwick Saban, who was in the primary, and then a runoff against Baker Curris, was he was change, he was young, and there were a lot of younger white people particularly who said, no, it's time for Little Rock to endorse a candidate like this. But I think he's done things as mayor uh, that have, I think, have damaged that coalition. He has been, oh, I don't know, he's he's not worked particularly well collegially with the city board. He's, uh, I think, been somewhat self-aggrandizing, whether through a security detail or other means. And He's kind of sees the the role of being a strong mayor, but has run into some resistance and, and hasn't been particularly good humored about it. And so I, I think he's going to have a hard time assembling those. He may not need any of that. This yeah, uh, well, uh, hard to run, hard to run as an incumbent on on hope and change always, and yeah. and certainly it's been a two way street with the board. But but your your points are well yeah, taken. I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not defending the board. I mean, God, <laughs> it all. Uh, you mentioned Work Saban. I think if if Work Saban had not run the first time and had run this time, he would likely win, especially with this slate of candidates. Oh yeah. Although but, there's a there's that West Little Rock contingent that Lance Hines represents. They'll they'll be backing Steve Landers, but you know they ran a candidate for city board in that posture against Antoine Phillips, and what did he get? Twenty five or thirty percent of the vote. I mean, I just think that <clears throat> Landers will have more money, but in, in a funny way, he may be less enticing than the guy who ran for city board from out there. But. All right, well let's let's uh, leave it there and and move on and talk just briefly about uh, Leslie Rutledge traveling to the border. Well. It's uh, outrageous. I mean, it was a, a, a patently political trip to the border to join Republicans and act like they were doing something about the so-called crisis at the border. And she won't say who paid for it. I'd guess the state paid for it. And then uh, she went to a Trump rally as well, and she refuses to answer questions about Trump's statements that he pardoned people who rioted at the Capitol January 6th that Mike Pence should have overthrown the election in 2020. Uh, she's thrown in entirely with him. And I guess the sad thing is, is that there's not a Republican in the state that, well, 
Greg Bledsoe did raise a question about who paid for her trip and some fancy video she did about it. But uh, there's no Republican willing to call out her. Never mind Donald Trump. The, the Arkansas congressional delegation won't comment on Trump saying the election should have been overturned and he pardoned people. It's un, it's un, the silence is unbelievable. It's uh, and and I I you have to assume that their polls and their knowledge of the voters, they feel perfectly safe in taking this approach. And so I guess Arkansas is viewed as majority in favor of the end of democratic rule. And if you don't like a result, uh, go kill police officers. Yeesh. All right. Well, let's move on to a happier topic. Hopefully, what do you have to endorse this week? Oh well, I'm 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 always late to everything, but I, I, we finally got started on something that I think they're making their fifth season of this week. It's another British crime series, but this one's called CB Strike, and we've just started. It's a guy Tom Burke plays a a um, oh, uh, an amputee Afghan veteran who's a private eye, and they solve and he forms a friendship with an assistant, a, a young woman who's very bright. And they solve cases that have, the police have been unable to solve. And it's, it's pretty, it's, they're based on novels that each, each series is, is an adaptation of a novel done by J.K. Rowling under a pen name. And they were apparently fairly successful bunch of crime books. But they're, they're well written and the actors are good and the London scenery can't be beat. Lots of location scenery uh, shooting in London and, uh, we just uh, just went burned through two hours of it last night and can't wait for the finale today. It's great stuff. CB Strike, it's called. What, is, that, is that on BritBox or Acorn or are you, how do you well, watch it? Well, it's I'm watching it on HBO Max. Ah. I think it's also on Hulu. I think it may have originally been a Cinemax production, but it's kind of. It's kind of like I say, it's in its the film in its fifth season, and so I think it's out there in a variety of. We have so many services. I don't really. I, I think we're watching it on HBO Max, and I was looking up something on it. And I saw that it's available on Hulu. So. That sounds good. Uh, well, my I I went sledding with my kids for an hour yesterday and had a great time. We uh, Santa brought us some some really fancy sleds that are kind of like um little snowmobiles they have that kind of turning on them not motorized obviously but that was big fun my kids were outside where'd y'all, where'd y'all go well i've got a four-wheel drive truck so we we went down the street to the deaf and blind school which is kind of the my, yeah, my idea of the ultimate sledding hill yeah and, those are great hills yeah and we went went all the way to uh, near markham from from the top of the hill well it's uh, kind of you know it's that that great ice because i don't know it was really sleet accumulation not snow but it makes the surface hard and slick as hell so you ought to slide fast i would think yeah my seven-year-old son you know who's the lightest among us would just glide over the ice and jet along yeah uh, but we came home to a uh, the ultimate snow day dinner, and that was a, a roast chicken, mash, mashed potatoes and gravy, and and carrots uh, cooked in butter with dill, and uh, it was such a delight. But my endorsement is is uh, cooking whole chickens, which is something that I have have gotten kind of 
obsessed with during the pandemic. And, you know, this is not anything revelatory to folks cook a lot, but browning a chicken is absolutely key. It's really hard to screw up a chicken once you browned it. You brown it even just for half a day in, uh, you know, a quarter quarter cup of salt and and about that much of sugar in water leaving the fridge. I like to smoke it with the doing the beer can uh, method where you you put it uh, vertically on the beer can and so it smokes more evenly that way. But I a beer can chicken is I, I my beer can chicken is unbeatable. I did something this weekend on my beer can chicken. I filled half the beer can with uh, Worcestershire sauce and lemon juice. Ooh. I put a whole put a whole lot of uh, salt and pepper inside the middle of it. It was uh, it may have been the best ever. Yeah, and, uh, uh, it, and then you know you you got so many, what kind of chicken? Do with the roast how chicken? big a chicken do you get? The other trick for me on roasted chicken is a smaller chicken is better. About huh. three and a half, about three and a half pounds, and they're hard to find. You can't. Get, I mean, the ones in the Kroger are like those. <laughs> super injected Tyson chickens that weigh about six pounds. I think they've had Chinese steroids put in them or something. <laughs> but but I get one from a neighborhood market and they have they sell small chickens and they they really are great. Yeah, I haven't I haven't done any kind of extensive testing on size, but I'll report back. All right. Well thanks for listening everybody. Stay safe and we'll be back next week. See you later.